Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. Hey, this is Dr. Gray, and I want to interrupt this podcast because I am thrilled to announce that my book, The Premed Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview, is hitting bookshelves on June 6th, 2017, and I'm giving away a copy to 50 lucky winners. Also, if you pre-order a copy today from Barnes & Noble and submit your receipt to me, I will give you lifetime access to our 13-part video series on the medical school interview and one-month access to our brand new, amazing mock interview platform, starting whenever you want. That's almost $100 worth of our products for pre-ordering the paperback book from Barnes & Noble. Text the word pre-order to 44222. Again, pre-order to 44222, and I'll give you instructions on how to enter the contest and how to submit your receipt. This is the pre-med year, session number 220. Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. This week, I'm excited to have a guest back on a podcast, not this show, Our guest today was on the Specialty Stories podcast, our first ever Specialty Stories podcast, episode number one, talking about her career as a dermatopathologist. Dr. Heary is joining me on the pre-med years to talk about her journey to medical school and why she ended up in a Caribbean medical school and the lessons that she learned from that, but also the journey from a Caribbean medical school into one of the most competitive residencies. And she talks about that journey and lessons learned. So hopefully if you're on this journey to a Caribbean school, you can learn from her mistakes and her experiences so that your experiences will be better. Michelle, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. When did you know you wanted to be a doctor? Oh, boy. Well, 
You know, I had had inklings when I was really young, like we're talking five and six, just because my mom was a nurse practitioner. So she would always take me to work with her and I'd like sit under her desk and I'd, you know, look at her charts and everything. But I have to say, I had a a pretty, pretty bad accident when I was seven years old. And I was in the hospital for about half a year. And I was in a full body cast for another few months after that and had to learn how to walk again. So I was seven years old and, you know, sitting in the hospital and doing my, I guess it was um, fourth grade, third grade, actually. Yeah. From uh, the hospital bed. And uh, I sort of knew like, well, this is a pretty special experience. I survived the accident, which was amazing. They didn't think I would. And they didn't think I would have my leg after I I did survive. And I sort of proved them wrong. And I got uh, a really great relationship with my physicians and nurses that, you know, took care of me. And I realized, you know, this is what I want to do. And it's at seven years old. I think that's pretty crazy. But, you know, in the hospital bed, I said to myself, I was saved sort of for a reason. People didn't think I would make it. And I sort of want to devote my entire life to being a doctor and saving people the way that I was saved. Wow. You know, which is, yeah, so it's not too many people have that experience yeah. um, to, you know, make them you know, choose what they want to do in their life. But, and I was very lucky. A lot of people think that my, you know, the car accident I was in was, you know, such a horrible experience. And it was, and it really wasn't actually, it was probably one of the best things that happened to me. I know it's crazy to think that way, but, you know, so many things happened that were, you know, so lucky, like this happened and that happened such that I was, you know, I was able to survive and able to have my leg and, you know, they wrote about me in journals or whatever. And I survived and I'm fine and I can walk and nothing really bad happened to me. But I was able to, one, realize what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, two, figure out what it's like to be a patient. So be on the other side, which a lot of doctors don't get that opportunity. And then three is really I I realized sort of my strengths and my weaknesses. And it's interesting at such a young age to realize that, you know, you have limitations, you're mortal, you're not an invincible, you know, being. And, you know, being in the hospital bed was pretty easy. Back then, you know, they didn't have like internal fixation. So I was in, you know, in my hospital bed and traction and all this stuff. And it wasn't until after I left the hospital and got out of all of my many, many casts, body casts, leg casts, everything, that I had to learn how to walk again, that I realized how hard it really was. And that if I wanted to, you know, walk, you know, three feet that day, that was going to be something that I had to make myself do. No one was going to do it for me. I had to put the effort in. I had to work really hard. I had to endure if I want to see results. And I think a lot of times, you know, people don't realize that, that the success that they have in life or whatever circumstances they want, you know, to have happen, they have to make happen. A lot of people think they are going to sort of get a handout maybe, or they're expecting something or they feel entitled. But, you know, for me, I had all these things, all of these, you know, great learning experiences at such a young age that I really do feel that that accident was the best thing for me. It sort of shaped me into who I am today. So I don't know. 
it was pretty it was pretty uh, exceptional experience so it very exceptional experiences as far as the extent of the experience it seems to be a very common thing that we hear of oh I had a family member that was sick or oh, I was sick and so I was exposed to doctors and that that's what made me want to be a physician but how do you take that experience and then carry that forward and go okay being a patient was obviously not very fun but I got to experience what healing is like and being a physician and and caring for somebody how do you take that and and go I want to be a doctor versus I want to be a nurse, which is probably who you were interacting with more, or I want to be a physical therapist, which is who you were interacting with a lot after you got out of the hospital. Right, exactly. I I think that's, you know, that's a a great question. I have actually, you know, lectured about this very topic on several occasions of, you know, why being a doctor? So, I mean, yes, it's the exposure. I had, you know, tremendous exposure to many different fields. And, you know, nursing, you know, physician, physical therapy, everything, you know, EMTs, paramedics. For me, and it took, by the way, several years to really, you know, sort of try different areas because I wanted to be sure that being a physician was what I really wanted to do. I think for me, it came down to I felt that my personality was such that I probably wouldn't be particularly happy doing anything other than being the head of the team. So I wanted to be the one making the decisions. I wanted I wanted patient care to be sort of, you know, initiated with me and you know, having experienced many different aspects of medicine, I appreciate all the different, you know, aspects of the, of the medical field, but for me I knew that, you know, being a physician was really the only choice that you know i i would be happy with having said that i also knew that you know i, I don't want to go into something and make and feel that i made a mistake so i actually did a lot of different aspects of medicine right so like you said you can be a phd and do research and and affect people's lives you know you can be a nurse and affect people's lives but i actually you know i was an emt i worked on the ambulance for several years in college i did you know research in the laboratory you know, I worked in the hospital. I did so many different things because I wanted to make sure this is exactly what I wanted to do because it's a huge commitment. It's a huge commitment for, you know, many different reasons, you know, money, time, your youth, everything. And so I wanted to make that educated decision. And so I did. I did a lot of different things. And, you know, that's part, and we can get into, into this later, but that's, you know, some of the reasons why I ended up going to the Caribbean was because I did so many different things in college, such that maybe I wasn't uh, getting the best grades that I could <laughs> could have gotten. Yeah. So, but in the end, you know, I got great exposure, right? So not too many people can say like, oh, they were a medic on the ambulance, or they did, you know, did this, they did that, you know, they did novel research and, and they, you know, whatever. I wanted to make sure that this is what I wanted to do. And I think that for people who really want to go into medicine, you have to ask that question. You know, my mother was a nurse practitioner. So I knew, you know, mid-levels was, mid-level was always an option. I could be a PA or a nurse practitioner. You know, I have many nurses in in my family. You know, it's just like, what was going to be the best choice for me? And I feel that people should look into these different avenues to make sure because you have to, you know, 
weigh the the risk, not the risk, not the risk, but the cost and the benefits, right? So there's a lot of costs to being a doctor. And I don't have to tell you that, you know, but you know, to the people listening, maybe they don't necessarily realize that. And you don't know until really you get into it. And then at that point, you might be like, well, I'm stuck. Yeah. And, and it's I've, not just financial it. costs. It's, oh, no. it's the cost yeah. of family and time and everything else you were mentioning as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And unfortunately, when you when you realize that you're sort of maybe maybe in your third year of med school and you're like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm kind of stuck. Right. Yeah. I've heard that so many times. And I've even felt that, you know, to a certain extent myself and my husband has, too. But at that point, you're kind of, well, I'm especially going to the Caribbean where it's maybe a little bit more expensive. You're kind of like, well, this is the bed that I made. Now I'm going to lie in it. This is it. Yeah. You know? Did you ever waver as you're going through this process? Be like, well, maybe it's not worth it. My mom has a great life. She's happy. Maybe I'll just be an MP. I didn't waver so much as, you know, different fields, right? So I didn't, I didn't ever think, okay, I'm going to stop you know, my track becoming a, a doctor, I'm going to do, you know, nurse practitioner. I knew that I wanted to be a doctor. I would probably feel that my whole life, like, what if, you know, what if I had finished? What if I, and I'm sure being a nurse practitioner would have been just, you know, just fine. But I know myself, you know, that I would have always thought, oh, I wonder what it would have been like. So I knew that I was going to be a physician. What I did waver on was my specialty. And we can always get in that if you want. Yeah. But like I had said, I felt that I had been, you know, saved when I was a kid in order to be the same type of physician that had saved me. And I don't know like how crazy that might sound, but to a seven-year-old, it made sense. Yeah. And I sort of stuck with it. And I, I told myself, well, I'm going to be a trauma surgeon and I'm going to, you know, save people and I'm going to commit my entire life to being a trauma surgeon. I'm not going to get married and I'm not going to have kids because <laughs> that's going to get in the way of being, you know, the best surgeon that I can be. And and at the time I really did feel that way and not so much anymore, but I mean there is some truth to that. Unfortunately in this day and age there still is. So my my wavering really came into like what I'm going to go into, but I never really wavered in whether I was going to be a doctor. Okay. Um, so you're, yeah. you're seven years old going through this and much older when you're kind of done with it and rehabbed and, and everything else. Mm -hmm. Between that time and starting off your undergrad years, being quote unquote pre-med, what mm -hmm. were you doing to continue to reaffirm to you that, that you wanted to be a physician or you just had it in your mind and you just went on your merry way until you got to college? Oh, no. I, I think when I started high school, actually, I every chance I get every summer, I was in interning. They call it interning. You know, basically you do volunteer work in the hospital. So I was always in the emergency, depart emergency department. I was actually a candy striper back when they still had the yeah. cute little red <laughs> and white candy striping dresses. I got my EMT license as soon as I could. And I was always on, you know, ride-alongs on the ambulance. I was always doing something. And, of course, my mom had a lot of physician friends. So I would, you know, go into their offices and here and there, like, every other week or something. And just observe, shadow, help out whenever I could. I was constantly doing something. I was even, you know, learning how to suture. Someone would, like, pull me aside in the ER and show me how. To, and you just, I was very – I showed a lot of initiative. I really wanted to – you know, sort of get my hands dirty. 
And basically, by the time I got to, you know, undergrad, it was just, you know, even more of that, right? So, yeah, I just, I just sort of immersed myself. I was in the hospital doing, you know, little internships that they would have, shadowing doctors, and I would come back every summer and do uh, shadowing with the orthopedic trauma surgeon that actually saved my life and my leg when I was a kid. Wow. So we had a, a, an amazing relationship. That's yeah. Awesome. Talk about for a second being interested in trauma surgery, whether mm-hmm. whether you're a general surgeon, trauma surgeon, or an, an orthopedic trauma surgeon. Mm-hmm. You're a female. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get questions or pushback that you were a female wanting to go into what is typically a male-dominated field? You know, I never got pushback until medical school. <laughs> In high school, maybe they thought it was just like cute or something. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> but And the fact that I was, you know, so close to the surgeon that I was shadowing with that, you know, he's the, his umbrella sort of protected me against any of that sort of stuff because he, he was very, you know, encouraging of me. So I never got that impression. Usually people were like, oh, wow, that's great, you know. And of course, some some physicians said, just don't be a physician. They never said, don't be a surgeon. Yeah. I think more, more oftentimes than not, any physicians that I knew would tell me, don't be a doctor. And I think that's the case I find a lot of times. I think statistics out there is like nine out of 10 doctors won't, you know, won't promote their field to someone that wants to go into it. So I never had that until medical school where I was actually doing rotations, which is unfortunate. (laughs) So, and that made me sort of rethink, and it did make me rethink what I was uh, going to go into. What was that pushback like? What were the discussions or what, what was happening? It's, it wasn't so much of like someone sitting me down and saying, you can't be a surgeon or you shouldn't be a surgeon. It was mostly the overall attitude that I had. Maybe I was just at a place that wasn't as, wasn't as friendly. I'm not really sure, but it was pretty, even a, a, abusive, really. And it's unfortunate because I've, I've talked to a lot of people that love their surgery rotations. And I, maybe I was just in a, in a you know, in a bad place to be, but it was just a general overall, very sexist, very sexist atmosphere. And um, even though I had, you know, pretty good talent in the, in the OR suite, you know, I'm pretty good with my hands. I just, being the only female actually on the team, it was pretty tough. And I just decided like, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this. It's not worth it to me. And you know, I can do, I can do other things and still be, you know, happy. And that's when I sort of uh, went through my crisis year, you know, what am I going to do? Because this, this may not be the right thing for me. Okay. Let's, yeah. let's jump back a little bit in time and talk about your undergrad years. You, you kind of hinted at it already about <laughs> doing yeah. maybe a little bit too much, which is a, a very, very common problem. Pre-meds just hit undergrad and don't learn how to be a student and they're trying to volunteer and shadow and, and yeah. be part of leadership and doing all of these things. And all of a sudden they end up with yes. some poor grades. Yes. Is that your story? Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. And it's sad. I mean, in high school, I think maybe, you know, I didn't, 
I didn't develop the best study skills. I didn't really study very much. And that's just the way it is. You know, it's possible to be in whatever AP or honors and, and not study that much and do pretty well. And then you get to college and you're like, oh my God, I actually have to study and I don't even know how to do that. So I think for me, it was a little bit of that. And the fact that I love getting involved in things. So I love tennis. So I'm going to, you know, play in tennis team. And then I'm going to, you know, I used to be in the student council. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do that as well in undergrad. And then I'm going to, you know, go to the hospital and and shadow and intern and this and this and this. And I'm going to do this club and that club. And I'm going to do research. And was um, that all with the thinking of this is going to make my application look good? Yes. Not all of it, but a lot of it was just me having these interests. But then, you know, people pulled you aside and they're like, oh, and this is going to look great for your application and this and this. And and you need to have X, Y, and Z on your application. And then you get into this sort of spiral where you think you need to do, you know, all of these things for your application, but then it takes you away from studying and your classwork. And then you may not be getting the best grades you can, but, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate. I wish someone had pulled me aside and say, okay, hey, by the way, this is what you need to do if you want to go to medical school. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing right now, all of it is basically wrong. <laughs> and it's start over. Let's start over. Yeah. And I think, and of course, going to UC Davis, University of California, Davis is yep. pretty competitive. They don't have a lot of great inflation there. And then I picked a, a major and, and then I double majored for some ridiculous reason. And then yeah. And I, and of course, it was in science, hard science, and I'm competing with people who study, you know, 24 mm-hmm. seven. So I wish someone could have sat me down and said, look, you need to do X, Y and Z, because what you're doing is not right. We talk about course correction a lot on this podcast, or I do about kind of assessing, okay, first year's done. It didn't go so well. What went wrong? How can I do better? Because I can't be where I'm at now. Did you ever do any sort of assessments like that? Or did you just kind of truck along and continue doing the wrong things? <laughs> well, to some extent, I did. My first quarter there, actually, I I think I went on academic probation. So that was, at least early on, an eye-opener, right? So I quit tennis, and I, you know, I quit a lot of these clubs, and I quit this, and I quit that. And I think it's good that that happened to me. Of course, a lot of damage is done that first year, you know, so I still didn't quit some things that I probably should have. So I was still, you know, spending a lot of time in the hospital and doing internships and whatnot. And, you know, unfortunately, being a science major for, you know, biology major, you know, you have a lot of tough classes. And if you're not, if you're not putting in a ton of time, and, and for me, if I'm not super interested in something, it's hard for me to put in a lot of time into it then you're not going to do that great. And I've always felt that the road to becoming a doctor is just basically a lot of hoops you jump through. And, you know, a lot of those hoops are the classes you take, right? So do you really need organic chemistry? No, but it's a weed. It's a weed out, right? <laughs> yep. And so it's tough to do well in weed out classes unless you, know, you put all of your attention into them. So, you know, that's what happened to me. I would I trucked along more of like a B average instead of, you know, an A, which is really what you need. And by the time, you know, time comes around to uh, apply and you don't have those 
you know, those grades, you're, you're not going to get it. You're just not. There's um, one of my lectures I give, there's a great slide that gives the importance of, you know, all the different aspects of applying for medical school. And, and the most important thing, of course, is GPA and your MCAT score. And that's it. Of course, after that, you have, you know, letters of rec and you have, you know, personal statement. And then after that, you know, course load and where you went to school. But number one is GPA and MCAT. And I really wish someone would have showed me that slide when I first started, because in the end, you need the numbers. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. It won't happen for you. Yeah. Well, I don't know about won't. There's well, I have a well, lot of stories on this podcast yeah. of people that have done it, but it uh, it might take a little bit longer. It's very hard. I mean, look <laughs> yeah. at me, right? It happened, yep. right? I didn't have the, the GPA or, I mean, my MCAT was very average. So, and I'm, I'm still a doctor, so it does happen, but it's not going to be easy. Let's yeah. just say that. Yeah. So talk about your pre-med advising at UC Davis. You have a B average GPA, an average MCAT score. Were your advisors very positive about you applying to medical school? Yeah, I felt that they were a little bit out of touch with reality, to tell <laughs> you the truth. <laughs> so I don't think they really understood. Maybe, I don't know. But they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just apply, do this, do that. You'll be okay. And, you know, that's really not the case. And I stayed, ended up staying at UC Davis for, you know, grad school because I thought, well, okay, you know, maybe grad school will help me after my first round of applications just didn't go very well. So you applied normal time frame and didn't get exactly. in anywhere. Did you get any interviews at that point? I got, I think, one interview. Okay. And, and yeah, so it was, it was the best. And I retook MCAT and then I went into the graduate program. Okay. Thinking that that would help. Yeah. And, you know, I did actually did a lot of teaching while I was at, um, at UC Davis. I uh, taught a lot of uh, microbiology and anatomy classes while I was a, a grad student. And I thought, okay, that's going to help me too, since I was sort of in the School of Medicine and getting, you know, great contacts there. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it didn't really help. It just didn't help. I think in retrospect, and, you know, we can talk about it, but instead of doing graduate school, I probably should have done a post-baccalaureate. But, you know, that was this, the decision that I made back what, then. What was your grad school? What, like, what did you study? I, yeah, I did. Um, it was comparative pathology. But a lot of, um, a lot of what, that was like the general header of it. But a lot of what I did was immunology. Yeah. So not quote-unquote hard sciences. Uh, it was fairly hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, um, yeah. So, Plus, you know, I wanted to stay and, and finish the research that I had been doing as an undergrad. And for okay. me, that's, I just wanted to do grad school. But in the end, I probably should have done something else. At the time, post-baccalaureate, was, it was much easier to get into medical school that route. Yeah. Maybe now it's a little bit harder. How long was the master's program? It was two years. Okay. So at the end of those two years, you reapply to U.S. schools? I reapplied in that time frame and yeah. got, you know, an interview here and there. And I really thought it was, I was going to end up staying at Davis and it just didn't end, end up happening at the very last moment. And then I was like, okay, well, I am not going to wait another application cycle. Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to do it. And I, 
I had a friend who was in the, she was actually a PhD student and she ended up going to Ross University. And um, I emailed her and I said, hey, how is it over there? She's like, it's great. And she's like, you should come. <laughs> so I, Was that I the called, extent of your research? Yeah, that was, well, I mean, I looked into a couple of schools. She had actually gone to St. George's before and she transferred it over to Ross. And, um, and she's like, yeah, no, it's much better here. And um, that was her opinion. And I called the school and I applied and I was accepted the next week. And then I went, all, like, it really happened literally in the course of like maybe two or three weeks. <laughs> and then I was on a plane. Wow. To uh, to Dominica to paradise, yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically. At, yeah. at that point, what are you thinking? So you you're obviously in California, hoping you get into UC Davis. You don't. Mm-hmm. You're like, ah, oh, is this dream ending? And two weeks later, you're in med school in the Caribbean. What oh, What are you crazy. thinking at that point? <laughs> are Are you mad that you're at the Caribbean? Are you glad that you're at the Caribbean? What What was going through your head? Well, it was hard for me. It was hard for me because I thought that I was um, either settling or I wasn't good enough. I, you know, I was, I was a little bit depressed. I thought, gosh, you know, I've done all this work. I've made all these connections. I was told by X, Y, and Z, you know, a person on the admissions that I would get in and this and this and this. And, and how did I get to this place? You know, I, I'm supposed to, you know, go to medical school and this is, this is just not, was not working out. And so, yeah, I was, in, I was in a very dark place. And I thought, okay, well, this is it. You know, maybe I'll go to the Caribbean. Maybe I'll transfer back into the States. Who knows? Because then that can't happen. I have known people that have done that. And they've, they've gone over, you know, in the Caribbean, they've transferred back after a year or, you know, a few semesters. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got on the plane. I did it. I, it, was, it was crazy. I, you know, I, but I flew over there. And I have to say, it was the most amazing feeling. I got off that plane and in your right, it, it is paradise. It looked like, you know, like Jurassic Park or something. It was insane. <laughs> we land the plane and I walk onto the tarmac, you know, walk down the stairs and I'm on the tarmac. And I don't think I've ever had a greater sense of peace <laughs> with my decision. I looked around and I thought, okay, this is where I belong. This is the next chapter in my life. I need to move on. I'm going to be a doctor. This is it. I just need to, you know, buckle down, do, you know, do really well. But here I am. This is the situation I'm in. I'm in medical school. Let's make it work. And I I really felt good about the decision at that point. It was so crazy. It just immediately, like, washed over me like a flood. Did you have any concerns about your future self, future doctor wanting to be a trauma surgeon still at that point, I guess, or whatever you yeah. wanted to be. Did you think, well, this, this may be limiting my career, so I need to be careful? You know, that's, that was always in the back of my mind. But I thought that, well, if you do really well, maybe you can overcome that prejudice that a lot of doctors from, you know, offshore schools have. And then I thought, you know, never, you never know, maybe I will transfer out. I'll make it work. And I thought, you know, going forward is better than waiting around another cycle to apply. And, you know, at the time, I don't know why, but I really didn't think about a DO school very seriously. I felt that the stigma against DO at that time was probably more than offshore schools because I had known a few, you know, doctors who were 
from offshore schools or they're from international schools. So I thought, you know, I'll do this. I'd rather have an MD than a DO. And I don't really think that that is the right choice now. Yeah, I don't. I don't really see that as, you know, being yeah. a problem. I would but, just to, to add, as we're in the middle of this discussion, that a US DO is, would at this point be better than an offshore MD. I have to agree with that. Yeah. I have to agree with that. And only because it's so hard and, you know, we can get into this, but yep, it is, it was really, really, really hard to come from an offshore school and succeed. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about school. So you're, you're there. How, so it's no secret that attrition rates at offshore schools are much, much higher than the state schools. How was it for you to go through school those first couple of years, those clin- the, uh, the non-clinical years, and be able to study while you're sitting on the beach or be able to study while your classmates are dropping out and going back home? What was that like for you? Well, I one thing about Ross, and I'm not sure about you know the other schools, but Ross, obviously, it's a for-profit school, and I knew that going into it. So obviously, they let, it, they let in almost everyone that applies. So I start off my, you know, first day and then there's, you know, 350 students in my class, right? So a typical med school in the States is about 100. And so all these people were there and the school is taking their money, knowing full well, they're, you know, they don't belong there. And I knew that the first day, I mean, there are people that just should not be there. So going through that semester, you know, they drop like flies when they realize that, you know, this is not right. <laughs> the sad part are the ones that sort of stick around and, and redo semesters that they have failed somehow and the school keeps taking their money. And that's just unfortunate. It's such a waste. But for me, I mean, luckily, Dominica doesn't have wonderful, beautiful beaches. <laughs> so I wasn't actually really tempted to just, you know, sit on the beach and not do anything. I mean, especially coming from where I did, you know, knowing that I had made mistakes in, in undergrad and that I should have really worked harder. I worked really hard. I was always studying. I was always, you know, I was always just there and in class and, and I worked really hard. Yeah, I did do other things there, right? I taught anatomy again as like the head TA there. I helped start a, a medical clinic for the Native uh, Caribbean Indians that still live there. There are other things that I did. I, that's just me. But I, was, I knew that I still had to be, you know, number one, especially if I wanted to transfer. And the way things are there is that, you know, they don't spoon feed you. And, you know, I feel like there are some U.S. med schools where you know, I, I saw it at UC Davis. I saw that the med students were just sort of like spoon fed and they were helped at every turn. And at Ross, I don't know about the other ones, offshore schools, but at Ross, man, you really had to have a lot of initiative. Like it's, it, you need to do it. You need to study. You need to do well. No one's going to help you. And again, that, that for me was, you know, that second nature. That's what I was used to growing up, right? If I wanted to take those, you know, those steps, if I wanted to learn how to walk, I need to do it, right? And so at Ross, that's exactly how it was. I taught myself a lot of the subjects. Luckily, you know, I had a really good background in anatomy and physiology and microbiology and all these things. But, you know, for me, it wasn't that hard. 
but I knew that I had to do really, really, really well. And I did. And that's just, you know, you have to take that initiative. So if you want to go to an offshore school, don't expect the school to really help you a lot. It's, in fact, it would be better if they don't help you, right? Because if you don't do well, then maybe you fail a semester and you pay more money. You know what I mean? It's better for them if you don't do well, yeah, honestly. Unfortunately. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unfortunately. And that's just the way it is. So you, you, you did yeah. well. Yeah. You've talked about transferring to back to the States. Right. How did you go about looking into that? And was that successful for you? So it was something I, I did look into. And it was a definite possibility. The only problem, it's not really a problem, but I met my husband, basically. He was one of my colleagues. So he was, uh, he was a student in the same class as me. And so at the time we were, you know, dating and I didn't want to transfer out without him. And it's really hard to find a program that's going to take two transfers <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. So basically I was like, okay, well, I'll just make this work. We're going to stay here. So I ended up really not pursuing it as much as I thought I would. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you yeah. you have your, your non-clinical years on the island there and then clinical years. So one of the one of the big negatives with yeah. a Caribbean school is clinical years. So a U.S. school, especially MD schools, <clears> you're <throat> associated with a big academic medical center. As a Caribbean student, you're usually traveling around a lot your clinical years. What was that like for you? I have to say, again, it's not usual what we did. So if Ross had put together our clinical rotations, we would have been in, in New York in some hospital that probably doesn't have that great of a teaching or we'd end up you know, all over the place piecemeal. And who knows, who knows if it would have been any good. And I knew that, you know, if I wanted to have any sort of competitive specialty, that I have to have, you know, good rotations and in places where I can make connections. So honestly, what I did, not a lot of people will do. I actually cold called a lot of different places and just said, this is who I am. I'm a, you know, third year med student or, you know, soon to be third year med student. And I want to set up rotations. And at that time, actually, a lot of places were still open to offshore students. Since then, they've sort of closed, closed off to Ross students, especially. But I actually called and set up probably 80% of my rotations and, and my husband's rotations. So they took both of us. So we ended up having, you know, we have connections. His parents were also um, physicians, and they did training at Yale. So, and they still had connections back there. So I called and we got probably maybe like seven months worth of, you know, rotation, six, seven months. We did most of our cores there, core rotations. And then I still had connections at UC Davis, you know, we did pediatrics there. So we went actually to a lot of really, really good institutions and just calling them and saying, this is who we are. Can we do rotations with you? And, you know, it worked out really well. That is not the norm. That is kind of crazy, actually. So I think nowadays, that's the number one thing that I would say is the negative against offshore school, especially Ross, is that 
their clinical rotations are not the best. And they have so many students, it's hard to place everyone. You know, I had to find my own OBGYN rotation because I think they said the next opening was in like a year and a half. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be like a resident at that point. So what would you like me to do? You know, so you just find your own. Unfortunately, that's not the case now. So hopefully they have more openings. But that is that's the number one negative is finding good rotations where they don't kind of use you and abuse you and and you don't learn a lot. So that's the problem. At some point along the way, you determined that you wanted to go into dermatology, which if you're listening to this and you don't know, it's one of the hardest specialties to match into. What were you thinking when you were like, I want to match in dermatology and I'm a Caribbean student? What were you thinking you needed to do at that point? <laughs> and tell you the truth, I didn't even know it was that crazy, crazy hard. I thought, well, you know, whatever, we'll figure it out. And for me, I, as a, you know, it's crazy, right? I'm like, well, if this is what I want, it's going to happen. You know, it's, I'll make, it'll, it'll just happen. I'm going to make it happen. For, this has since changed, I guess they've changed this rule. But back then, as a foreign med grad, you can pre-match. And so my husband matched for radiology, which is actually another fairly competitive specialty out, out of the Caribbean to get, right? And so he matched into that. And then we were able to pre-match because uh, we had done our clinical rotations at, um, at one of the Yale hospitals and we knew them really well. And we were foreign med grads, so we could match into their internal medicine prelim year. So, you know, I, I pre-matched there and, and knew that I had to find something in Massachusetts for residency. And basically, it just came down to don't necessarily have to go through the match at that point because you're doing a year already, you're internal medicine. So if somewhere has like an opening, you can just mat- pre-match into it. You don't have to go through the match, especially as a for a med grad. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they've actually changed that now. I think so. Um, yeah. So back then, it's just different, you know? Yeah. So it just happened that, you know, I called UMass and applied. And at the interview, I said, I want to go here. I, you know, I want you to match me. <laughs> <laughs> Take me, please. <laughs> Take me, please. My husband ended up going to um, a tough Space State Hospital. And then, yeah, I called, I called University of Massachusetts and ended up going there. It was, it's pretty crazy, but, um, you just, just make it happen. (laughs) It just, I don't know. It just sort of fell into it that way. And, uh, but it, I mean, it's a lot of hard work, right? There was a lot of long nights in, in med school and clinical rotations and getting great letters and putting in the time and effort in your rotations and in order to get to the position where they would actually look at your application, right? Were you super stressed about board scores? It was. I put in so much time and energy into my step one. I figured step two was, you know, some places wouldn't even see your step two scores and it was, it's an easier test. So I said, okay, I'm going to put in all of my effort to step one score. And you know, I had like this huge calendar and every day I would do, you know, X many hours of this subject. And I mean, it was insane. My husband never saw me, basically. I was studying literally like 18 hours a day. And yeah, no, I did really well. But I felt like 
I had this urgency. It's like, okay, I need to overcome the fact that I went to Ross, mm-hmm. which is sad because it's still medical school. And I do feel that the instructors there were really good. And I had, you know, great learning experience, but there's a stigma and there still is, and there probably always will be. So you have to overcome that in some way, unless you don't want, you know, ultra competitive specialty. And that's, you know, to, to do well in your, in your board scores. And there's just no other way around it. That's how my husband matched into radiology. He did really well in his, uh, in a, for his step one. Yeah. That's just what you have to do. If you want a competitive residency, that's what you have to do. That's it. Has the fact yeah. that both of you are Caribbean grads, has that hindered either of your careers as far as finding jobs and answering those questions? You know, I feel like we've both gotten whatever positions we, were, we wanted to get. The problem is you always have to field this question. So why'd you go to the Caribbean? <laughs> and then you have to go through this little rigmarole like, well, you know, I blah, blah, blah. I didn't apply to very many schools. I thought I'd get in here, but I didn't. And it was the same for my husband. You know, he was the same sort of thing. Like he just didn't do as well because he was doing all these other things. And then he had also only applied to California schools. And so, you know, we were just stupid, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. We had no idea what we were doing. There really wasn't great pre-med advising, but yeah, we're both in the same situation. And we have to, even to this day, answer these same sort of questions. And it's ridiculous. I mean, it really is ridiculous. What does it matter? What does it matter? Honestly, where I went to medical school, you know, you might as well ask me where I went to high school. What does it matter? I still am an MD. I did well. I did well on my boards. You know, I'm a good physician and it really shouldn't matter whether I went to Harvard or whether I went to Ross because I do the same job. And so it's really, really frustrating when people sort of throw this attitude at you as if they're better. And that's something you have to deal with. And I'm sure some DOs feel that way too, which is also Mm. ridiculous. Do you think that our residency training, the way that's set up, that it it should be factored in that U.S. students are given higher priority than Caribbean school students or other foreign grads? I mean... I think the best persons for the job should be taken, right? So if I have an applicant who's, you know, really good, but they're from the Caribbean, what does it matter? They're really good. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm biased on this, but I don't think that the U.S. students should get, you know, priority just because they're U.S. students. And it's, you know, maybe people who aren't citizens, that's one thing. So if you have to get a visa and all that stuff, but you know, I'm born and raised in California. Yeah, I went to Ross. Yeah. Big deal. You know yeah. what I mean? I still did well. And what does it matter? You know what I mean? I just feel like that's kind of like a... Yeah. There, there are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of things above our pay grade as far as government funding and public institutions and making sure that their students are taken care of. So there's there's a lot of that that probably gets factored into it as well, which is... Probably a discussion for another podcast, but you've, quote unquote, overcome the Caribbean stigma. You're a practicing dermatopathologist. Your husband's a radiologist, both Caribbean grads. If you were to do it all over again, knowing what you know now, where would you have 
done something different? What would you have done differently to, I guess, ensure that you went to a, a U.S. school? Yeah, well, I think first off, starting back in undergrad, I would have picked a much easier major, much easier. So, and I think even med schools look highly on, on that, that you're like more diverse, right? If you're a, a literature or English or psychology or something major, mm-hmm. I'm not saying these are like super, you know, easy majors, but they're much easier than a hard science. That's just the way it is. I would have picked a major that was much, much more doable. And I knew that I would be able to get better grades. And I probably would have not done as many extracurricular activities and maybe only picked a few. I feel like med, med school likes a good story, right? So you need a good story. I had a good story with my, you know, my accident. I think that they appreciated that. But unless you have the numbers, they're not really going to see it. So you have to put your energy into making yourself look good on paper. So just put all your energy into a good GPA, put all your energy into a good MCAT. And if you have a couple of things here and there that really, you know, give you that extracurricular activity and that's great. And then, so I would have definitely done that differently. Still, if I still was not, you know, up to par with getting into a US MD school, I definitely, in retrospect, would have or should have applied to a DO school in order to stay in the States and and not had that, you know, foreign med grad stigma. It's not to say that DOs don't have that stigma. I, I know quite a few DOs that have also had to shoulder that question of like, why did you go to a DO school? And so they also get that stigma, but not as much. And it's so much easier to be in the States. <laughs> it's just, you know, it, that's just the way it is. So I, I would have done that differently. Or I would have done a post-baccalaureate. I think now it's not as easy. Usually, I mean, back then it was like you did a post-bac and then you get into that med school where the post-bac is. I don't think that's the same case anymore. But I would have done these things differently. I really wish someone would have just sat me down and said, look, this is the secret. Nobody knows. (laughs) Like, you need to do X, Y, and Z if you want to get in. Because I just feel like I did basically almost everything wrong. But I mean, it was good, right? I met my husband. I I had a good experience. I'm much stronger than I used to be. And, and I feel like when I was at the Yale program, they actually took quite a few raw students because they loved the fact that they were so independent and they didn't, you know, they didn't need to be spoon fed and, and they were, you know, had a lot of initiative and they are very hard workers. But, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to be that, you know, on your game all the time, like that much. It's just tough. And then after all of that hard work to be met with this resistance every time you apply for a position, you're like, why'd you go there? Why'd you go there? Like, what's wrong with you? Why'd you have to go off offshore? It's not good. But, you know, it is what it is, right? So that's, that's what I would do if I, if I had it all over again. Be, you know, be a better student undergrad. Pick a, a major that's easier. Don't overextend yourself. And then look into other programs, you know, DO if you don't get into U.S. med school, uh, MD school. So any last words of encouragement or advice for the student that has applied several times to U.S. schools, MD and DO, and, and now is, is on their way to a Caribbean school? Well, if you've already made that decision and you're, and you're on your way and you're going to go to you know, one of the schools, make sure that you've picked 
you know, picked wisely. I really feel that there's only two med schools in the Caribbean that are worthy of, of, you know, this sort of commitment. And just know that it's all on you. So your success or failure is going to depend on you. So you have to really put in that time and energy and you have to be serious about it. And hopefully you've made the right decision to be a doctor. And that can be, you know, another podcast in itself, right? There's so many reasons to be a physician. And is that going to be enough for you to sustain you through the sleepless nights and the, the work and the giving up so many things? And hopefully it is. And uh, if that's really what you want and you are prepared to go through how hard it is to be in the, in the Caribbean for med school, just know that, you know, if you're there, that's what you're committing to. Don't give up. It may seem really, really tough. But you can get through it as long as, you know, you really put in that energy, you really put in that, that time. But also, it's important to keep in mind, if you don't feel that it is for you, you know, if it's not right, if, it's, if it doesn't feel right, if it's too hard, you know, don't wait too long to get out because Caribbean schools are expensive. And so you don't want to make a big, very, very expensive mistake and just, you know, stick with it if it's not the right choice for you. I've seen that a lot. And then, you know, you're even worse off. So it's kind of like a a fine line, right? So either stick in it, but if you know that this is not the right thing for you, don't just wait around, just get out as soon as you can. (laughs) You have to, because it's a lot of money and it's a lot of, a lot of commitment to stay out there. But if you're worth it, if it's worth it for you and you, that's what you want to do, then don't give up. All right. That again was Dr. Michelle Heary. She was again on the Specialty Stories podcast, episode number one, talking about being a dermatopathologist. We also did an episode about Caribbean medical schools and had a Caribbean medical student on back in episode 51. You can find that at medicalschoolhq.net slash five one. I want to take a second and thank a few people that have left us ratings and reviews. If you would like to do so, you can do it at medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. We have one here from a bunch of numbers and letters that says, Restored Confidence. I've been listening to this podcast for quite some time, and it truly reawakened a dream that I had to become a physician. Thank you for being so invested in developing pre-meds and empowering us to go after medical school can't thank you enough. Well, you did. Thank you very much for that review. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes if you would like to read one. We have another one here from The Business with like 29s after it that says, warning, high yield to pre-med success tips await. This weekly powwow slash podcast with Dr. Gray has been 100% essential for learning the intricacies about the med school admissions process in the last year. Thank you for that, The Business. We have one more here from Greatness 2 that says, too great to relate. I guess that's kind of like too legit to quit, maybe. (laughs) I'm dating myself now. It says, this podcast has been the best medical school advice all packed on my phone. Yes, it is on your phone. If you're listening to this through a web browser or through Safari on an iPhone or Google Chrome on your Android device, download a podcast-specific app and subscribe to this podcast so that you get it every week for free. Easy as that. 
I hope you have a great week. I hope you continue to push forward on this journey. And I hope you join us next week here at the Medical School Headquarters and the Pre-Med Years Podcast. (laughs) 